Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where Catholic truth is served fresh daily. We've made you a reservation in the luxurious corner booth, so come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzezemski. Greetings and welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, sitting in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic. You know, I'm saying luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe, and our our guest, Bishop Talley. I'm going to introduce him in a second. He's looking around like this isn't so luxurious, <laughs> but that's okay. Uh, we we can we'll we'll take all the judgment that because we need we need to be we humble here. That's right. Uh, Tom Dorian, welcome. I'm yes, glad sir. you're here. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad that you're here. And of course, we're here welcoming our guest. And this is the first time that our bishop here, the Diocese of Memphis, Bishop David Talley. Uh, is joining us. So welcome, Bishop. Well, welcome to Memphis, because you're kind of new here, but you've been here for a well, year and a half. year and a half. Feels like uh, a lifetime. Well, but it's, it's, <laughs> well, we've loved having you. Well, thank you so much. And and uh, and we're, we love having you here at the Catholic Cafe. The, you know, the Catholic Cafe is actually a, a, a ministry of the Diocese of Memphis, and we're so happy to have you here to to, to I guess bless it to say this you. is a good this is a good thing. And so um, we're you know interestingly. Um, if I was to list a couple of names here, would you know what these names? I'm going to put you on the spot. Uh, Saint John Cardinal Henry Newman, uh, Cardinal Avery Dulles, James Conley, and of course David P. Talley. Those bishops, they're all converts mm-hmm. to the faith, right? They're yes. they're not originally born and raised Catholic, and right. so we're blessed to have you here. I just thought maybe we want to talk about your conversion story, how that came about. I'd be happy to. So I guess where we would start is uh, a likely question. Let's just, in a, in a big, bold, kind of broad way, why are you Catholic? Well, um, it's a movement of the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's a, uh, an encounter with different Catholics along the way. Um, it's, a, it's an involved and wonderful story I'd love to be able to tell you. Just let me know how to do that. Oh, oh that's a good question. Well, so how did you come to know about the Catholic Church? Well, my parents, when I was a little boy, had a friend or two that were Catholic, and uh, and, and one was a, a devout uh, young woman that was a, a nurse, as my mom was a nurse, my dad was a physician, and so she would come to the house, and when we would pray, she would make the sign of the cross. So I saw that as a boy, I'd, uh, but growing up uh, both in North Augusta, South Carolina, and in uh, Columbus, Georgia, I didn't have much contact with Catholics growing up as a boy and as a young teen. And what faith tradition did you? We were, were you we raised? were raised Southern Baptist. Southern Baptist. Now, I I don't know. I, I was was there uh, uh, any uh, scandal involved in you know so, good Southern Baptist inviting a Catholic woman into your home? No, uh, but, but there, there could have been. Uh, it depends uh, because right. there's that narrowness of heart mm. in every kind of denomination. But my parents loved this young woman and other friends, and so that was not a that was not a problem. And that's awesome. And that was sort of a backwards way for me to kind of ask you about your parents and, and their willingness to engage people, to be to be welcoming to to other folks. And I mean, is that something that you saw them as? Or yes, yes, and no. Um, they, they were individuals, uh, human beings like we are, mm-hmm. and so they had their strengths and their challenges. But I did see that my dad was an intellectual and a, a surgeon. My mom uh, supported the family by by nursing. Uh, she was first a surgical nurse and then a psychiatric nurse, mm-hmm. and so they both educated and uh, and in that way they understood the need to broaden their horizon. But they were Southerners, and you grew up with the perceptions that we had growing up in the South in the forties and fifties. Awesome, and so 
Now, as as a were you a were you a good Baptist boy? Would you consider yourself a good faithful well, Baptist boy? Un, until I left, I was a good Baptist boy. Until you left. Now, when you <laughs> left, how, what age was that? But around fourteen. And now, did you? Uh, when did you convert to Catholicism? When, I think how I, old were you? Twenty four. Okay, so there was like ten years of of wandering, maybe. Well, uh, do you want that story? Well, I would like to hear that story. Okay. Um, well, I had a. I was a good Baptist boy. My my parents at the time, uh, they they divorced later on, and uh, and my father uh, kind of walked away from faith. Is mm. at least uh, the way it's practiced. I, you can't know a person's heart. But uh, when I was growing up as a as a boy, we would go uh, every Sunday to the First Baptist Church of Augusta, Georgia, and uh, and I would listen to Dr. Robert J. Robinson. Uh, we'd give a, a wonderful um, homily or sermon. Uh, I went to Sunday school. I went to uh, uh, Wednesday tra- training union. I went to Ridgecrest uh, Baptist Camp in North Carolina. So I was a good Baptist boy. And so at age 14, though? This is what happened. Um, I, I'm, uh, I'm 70 years old, uh, which means that I grew up in the heart of the civil rights movement. Mm. And in the early 60s, when I was a, t- a young teen, um, one of my heroes, one was uh, uh, John F. Kennedy, another was uh, Dr. Martin Luther King. And uh, when he spoke about Jesus and about justice and about the need for the country to live up to its, to its standard, uh, that all, all men and women are created equal, uh, he was a hero of mine. And it happened that uh, when I was 13, 14, my Sunday school teacher uh, was not a fan of Dr. King and tried to tell us in the class that segregation was scriptural and mm-hmm. used uh, one of the parables of Jesus to, to tell me essentially that blacks and whites were not meant to be together. And so I knew that was false. And I, well, I'm not going to interrupt too much, but how did you know that was false? What, where, where, what, what, what in you? I read the scriptures. Yeah. And so you saw the bigger picture, and you saw all of the scriptures I as did. a whole. And you didn't that proof texting thing didn't really. And I also heard Dr. King, and he spoke with authority. Hmm. Jesus talked about people speaking with authority. When he spoke, it was not rehearsed; it was from his heart. You 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 knew that watching him and hearing him. And that reminds hmm. me of another scripture that we've that we have in our lectionary uh, off times, and it's about when Jesus spoke. He spoke with authority, and people recognized. That in his in his speaking the charism yeah yes the charism of truth so you 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 would you would seen that and heard that yes, and so I then re- you knew that the the false teaching oh yes it was it was apparent don't you think that a lot of us struggle sometimes with de- detecting false teaching I well, just an aside. I don't know it's it, it's everywhere <laughs> yeah <laughs> because we're living in a time where where truth is no longer valued or at least it appears that way yeah and so that is a problem for lots of uh, people of faith and of no faith. Trying to discern where the truth of things are is. Mm-hmm. So you you uh, essentially found your way out of that experience I, there. I I had to deal with my mom and dad who tried to make me go back to church, but I I that I was done, and so yeah. I, I began uh, university uh, at Auburn University uh, as the age of seventeen, and I consider myself an agnostic. Okay, and so. Mm. You were content just to go the rest of your life as an agnostic, do you think? Well, when you're 17, uh, that's not the first thing on your mind. Right. <laughs> Sports and girls, were those are the things on my mind. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So, But at some point in time, I would imagine something had to change. This is what, this is what happened. Um, uh, around the age of 20, uh, those of, of, of a similar age remember 
when President Nixon changed the drafting uh, function of the government, you, you, you were no longer, uh, your name pulled out of a hat, they were, you were given a number. And uh, all of us uh, of age had drafted were given a number, and mine was a very low number. So what I decided to do, I was at pre-med at that time, I entered the Army hoping to be in the Med Corps. Uh, to, to be a medic, uh, so I went. In, I, I volunteered for the army because it was heading for me anyway. Right, with, uh, you knew that was inevitable because I had a low number. Uh, I asked for uh, the medical corps. I received um, um, a one, uh, one, uh, 11B, which is ground infantry. At any rate, I went to the army. Uh, was only in there a few months. Got hurt uh, and uh, left the army. But my experience of being in the army and being with all those other men and listening to what we were thinking about in war um, made an enormous impact on me. And so I went back home. Uh, at the, about the time I went back home, my parents divorced, and it was a very difficult divorce, so there was a lot of stress on our family. When I eventually found my way back to college, I changed my major from pre-med to philosophy because I was asking big questions of myself and others. Why am I here? What's the purpose of my life? Why do we live? How are we called to live? And with all of those things in philosophy, I began to read the philosophers uh, in our history. I had a group of friends. Uh, They were all nerdy like me. One was a mathematician. One was a physicist. One was a chemist. One was a uh, psychologist. I was studying philosophy. We would get together and talk about big ideas. All of them were Catholic. Wow. Now, how did that happen? Providentially. <laughs> yeah. The Holy Spirit was obviously involved. I was, it was. I was looking to date one of the uh, sister of one of the guys. That was part of it. But, <laughs> but I, w- I was attracted to the ideas the, and the creativity of these men. About six months into joining this little group of, of intellectual types at Auburn, uh, one of them pulled me aside, and he said, David, I've been listening to you, and, I, and I've, I've been listening to your questions, your heart. And I've heard your voice in this book. I want you to read this book. And so he gave me a book by Thomas Merton. And the book was The Seven Story Mountain. Mm-hmm. A classic. And it mm-hmm. was about the conversion of a young, bright, arrogant man who was lost. And that's what I was. And so I read his book. And then I read his bibliography. John of the Cross and Teresa of Avila and Teresa de Cieux. All those guys, not not the complete bibliography, right. but I read a lot, and then that was an introduction into, a, a, I guess, a, a, a source that you didn't necessarily specifically know existed. I guess to some degree. Well, I mean those those but, folks but before they that, wouldn't have been in your Baptist before history. Thomas Merton. I didn't know those names. Mm-hmm. That's right. And so I, I did that. Then I found a, a, a parish priest, uh, Father Leffler of Incension in Opelika, Alabama, and he brought me into the church in 1975. Now, how was that received by your friends and family, or was it welcomed, or was it? It was. It was. It was a bit odd for some people. Uh, my parents accepted me. It was difficult for their relatives because my mom, my mom's family, all come from the Church of Christ, um, and um, not all. Uh, many are just saints, but but some in, in that denomination. Um, have an anti-Catholic streak. At least they used to. Mm-hmm. And so there was there was a difficulty there. But after a time, they saw I was still David. I'm still the same guy. Still like the same things. Still have the same um, problems. Looking for the same uh, um, blessing. And so I was accepted. 
That's beautiful. That's beautiful. So we're talking to Bishop David Talley, who is the Bishop of the Diocese of Memphis, and we're so blessed to have him here at the Catholic Cafe. Um, And we're going to continue our conversation uh, with him about his uh, conversion experience. Uh, We got to the point where you've gotten converted and we're going to talk about like what happened after that uh it's a good story i know it is i know it is it brought you here and uh but we're going to do that after we take a break uh before we do take a break i want to remind folks at home we got a great website thecatholiccafe.com also i'd love to hear from you send me an email deacon jeff at thecatholiccafe.com and with that we'll be right back i'm bess drzemski and this is another great moment in church history The 1960s were tumultuous time for America. The Vietnam War was raging. The assassinations of John F. Kennedy and Martin Luther King shocked the world. Hippies held love-ins. Draft cards were burned. Scientists told us we were overpopulating our fragile planet. Feminists told women to get out of the kitchen. Then there was Woodstock, the Cold War, astronauts on the moon, free love, and the pill. Bob Dylan was right. The Times... They were a changing. In the midst of this era of great moral uncertainty, when the lines between right and wrong, good and evil, became increasingly blurred, came one of the most beautiful and impactful documents in church history, Humani Vitae, subtitled On the Regulation of Birth. Humani Vitae was promulgated by Pope Paul VI as a defense of the clear and constant teaching of the church that unnatural forms of birth control were immoral and intrinsically evil. While there was some support for the document, it was not universally well received. In fact, an unprecedented wave of criticism and dissent was unleashed from within the church, as well as ridicule and contempt from without. In short, it went off like a bomb. But as the church has always done since she was founded on the Rock of Peter some 2,000 years ago, she stood up not for what a fallen world thought was right, but for what God thought was right. In defending her singular stance against the immoral use of contraceptives, she stated in section 18 of Humani Vitae, It is not surprising that the Church finds herself a sign of contradiction, just as was Christ, her founder. But this is not reason for the Church to abandon the duty entrusted to her of preaching the moral law firmly and humbly, both the natural law, and the law of the gospel. Since the church did not make either of these laws, she cannot change them. She can only be their guardian and interpreter. Thus, it would never be right for her to declare as morally permissible that which is truly not so. For what is immoral is by its very nature always opposed to the true good of man. By preserving the whole moral law of marriage, the church knows that she is supporting the growth of a true civilization among men. Humane Vitae continues to be a source of consternation for those who would oppose church teaching, but it also continues to be a beacon of light for a world desperately in need of a constant, unchanging truth. I'm Vester Zimski, and this is another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. And we're back in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff sitting here with Thomas Patrick Dorian. Yes, sir. St. Patrick. And we are uh, talking to Bishop David Talley, who's the Bishop of the Diocese of Memphis. Bishop, thank you so much for being here. 
and sharing your conversion story. I just Thank you. Remind there. folks out there, there's not a lot of convert bishops out there. You're a small company. I think it's kind of a, a special, dis, uh, uh, I guess, distinguishes you mm. amongst a lot of different uh, other folk out there. And so we're we're we've been talking about your conversion story and perhaps what really kind of led up to your conversion. Uh, and we got to the point where you you were converted. Father uh, Leffler? Father Paul Leffler, Vincentian priest in Opelika, Alabama. Who brought St. you Mary's in. Church. Yes. All right, awesome. And so he brought you into the church, and then I guess he just cut you loose, and everything just is all history at that point. But did anything special happen around that time, right after? What happened right after you got uh, converted? Tons, and I want to talk about that. But I want to say this first to uh, all in the audience. Um, every Every vocation, meaning a, it's a calling, Every calling, whether it's to marriage or the single life or, or to be a brother or a sister, a deacon or, or a priest, they're, in, they're given um, by the Lord uh, personally, and each is unique. So mine is one kind of a story, and it's, and it's, a, and it's a, an exceptional story, and you'll hear that. But uh, every, every story, every calling is valid and of the Lord. Mm. I want everyone to know that. That's right, and it's, it's, it's specifically unique to each person, and I guess it's right to say that everyone is called. I mean, just everyone is called, so we don't know what mm-hmm. they're called to do or to be. Or Baptism says that. Yes, amen. You're brought into the church uh, uh, in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus through baptism, and, and he says, now go. Amen, that sounds good. So he said, he said now go to you, and, and did you go? This is what I did uh, right after my conversion. It was a, an extraordinary, it was a powerful conversion experience. But it was not a complete uh, integrated ver- conversion experience. I was, con- I was, I had an intellectual conversion. Um, my 24-year-old um, mind and heart fell in love with the intellectual tradition and the spiritual tradition of the Catholic Church. And so I read and read and read, and immediately uh, I applied to seminary. I was accepted by the Diocese of Savannah. I don't know why they did, Wow! Um, but they did. And, um, and I went to seminary a year and a half after uh, I uh, was brought into the church, and I lasted three semesters. I did very, very well in the seminary, but um, it was not a complete and integrated conversion experience. I had not dealt with really my own sinfulness, uh, the depth of my own sinfulness, uh, nor the question of celibacy. And so uh, I was 24, 25 at the time, and, and I knew that I, I wasn't ready to say yes to that kind of uh, lifelong commitment. Um, because I enjoyed the company of women, and, um, and so I, I walked away from that. I spent about a year and a half working. The longing was still there. Uh, I was reading through, throughout the time, reading uh, a Catholic books, uh, authors, uh, theologians, and I was attracted to one particular lifestyle, um, although all of us have a bit of monk in, a, in us. Yeah. The, the, the lifestyle I, I, I was thinking about was the Society of Jesus, and I entered Jesuit novitiate. This was my second time entering into a longing to be what I believe God was calling me to be, and I lasted one year. One year? At Grand Coteau, Louisiana. It was the best year of my life. It was an extraordinary year. I, I still am informed by the 30-day silent retreat that I make, that every novice makes. But I left, and, this, and it was providential. Why so? I left on the Feast of St. Clair in August. In early September, I went back home, not knowing what I was going to do with my life in Columbus, Georgia. A month later, my father was diagnosed with metastatic cancer. Mm-hmm. And so I was uh, there at the time when he was told that he was, he was in the death process, and I was able to help him to die and watched him and with him in his room for about a month before he died. Mm-hmm. 
Now, that is incredibly providential. I mean, we've looked at things in our lives. All of us can look and say there are things that, like, I wish didn't happen or this was a bad episode or it was a bad time. And just for, speaking for myself, there's so many things that have happened where I've, I've realized how much that would inform my ministry. It would, yes. it would change how I would preach or teach or talk or speak or accompany. It would just change what I would do and what I would mm-hmm. be. So you, did you have the wisdom to see that right away? No, or? no. I was confused and, and desolate with my father uh, dying and, uh, and lost. Uh, but in hindsight, now I see that God was preparing me for that. I wasn't ready, although I, was, I loved the, the Society of Jesus. I wasn't ready to say yes there either. But God allowed me to, to help my father, to minister to my father, and uh, to, to look for some closure. Uh, divorces do that. When mm. uh, parents divorce, yeah. children are part of the hurt of that divorce, and I was able to have some closure with my dad. Well, what about mom in all this case? Well, you're, the, whole, the, the, the big picture of your parents. I will get to them at the last part of this. Let me tell you what happened after the Society of Jesus. Oh, okay. I, I began, uh, I, found, I, I found what I thought uh, was my life's work. I had tried twice, and it wasn't God's plan. And so um, I uh, talked to some, some people and uh, some counselors in Columbus, Georgia, and I applied and was accepted as a caseworker in Atlanta to, to be a social worker. And so I began to work in, in Atlanta uh, right after my father's death as a child protective service worker. I worked with abused and neglected children, uh, and first at a night shelter. Then after I um, went and got a master's degree at the University of Georgia, I became a full-time worker with families. And I did that for uh, about five years. But the, the longing was still in me. And this is how uh, the longing ended. Uh, I was finishing my master's degree, and I had, I had only a paper to write. And I uh, was uh, interning at Athens, Georgia, and uh, my paper was to compare and contrast how suffering was dealt with therapeutically, that's what I was studying for, and pastorally. Ooh. And so I talked to a lot of the pastors at Athens. My last uh, appointment was with the Catholic priest, the single Catholic priest there. He's, he's dead now. His name is Richard Kierens, and um, an Irish priest and uh, from Atlanta. And um, so I'm, I went into his office, and I, I introduced myself. And I was looking around his bookcases, and he saw me looking around. He said, have you read these books? I said, yeah, I know these books. And we began to talk about the saints. And I saw a few icons, and I recognized them. And he said, you're the kind of man God may be calling to be a priest, out of the blue. Out of the blue. Then he says, are, are you Catholic? And I said, yes, I am. And he said, have you thought about this before? And I said, yes, I have. Twice. <laughs> I didn't say At twice. <laughs> and so he picked up the phone and he called the archbishop while I was still there. Hmm. And he said, I have a man for us. Wow. Wow. Now that sounds like someone who knows. I mean, essentially a little bit of prophet stuff going on there. Well, that's what Richard Kieran was. But, but when that happened, it was, a, it was a lightning bolt. Everyone doesn't receive that. But it was an, an absolute and final yes that I'd never ask the question again. Wow, that is mm-hmm. awesome. And so then... Seminary. You, 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 on to seminary, seminary. and on, on, to, yeah. on to priesthood. And so that's, and that's uh, guys, that's the, my part of the story. But I want to talk about my parents' part of the story, which is bigger, more important. Uh, quickly, my mom and dad were dating and engaged when they were 18 and 19 years old, or maybe 19 and 20. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were from uh, Columbus, Georgia. One was a Baptist, one Church of Christ. They listened to Fulton Sheen on the radio. They were attracted to the Catholic Church. Wow. They went across the river because their, their parents would be mad at them. They went across the river to Phoenix City, Alabama, St. Patrick's Church, and found a, a priest to instruct them. 
As they were beginning toward the end of instruction, coming into the church, my mom had cold feet. Not by what she was learning, but because she was so young. She was going to be married. She needed her parents. She loved her parents, even though they, they were somewhat bigoted about the Catholic Church. So she went to the priest and told him she could not come in, and it broke her heart. But she was crying at the time, and she said, Well, what can I do to show God that, uh, that, that, that what, what I've been given was so good? And the priest, thankfully, a wise priest, said, I understand, uh, uh, Miss Barton, um, if it's in your heart, and only if it's in your heart, one of the things you could do is to go into the church and kneel before the Blessed Sacrament. And if it's in your heart, why not dedicate your first son to God? Wow. And, and so I, she went, Babs Telly went to the church and knelt down and, and dedicated her first son to God. And I am that wow. first son. And she named me with that promise. David means beloved. And Prescott means, in Hebrew, from the priest dwelling. Hmm. And she told me this uh, right before I was ordained. That is the beautiful, beautiful <laughs> story. Is. I got to tell you, uh, you know, we should have led with that because that was really good. <laughs> well, no, we had to get up to the, the, the build up, but that's that that is so powerful. I mean, I hope he was the director of vocations and whatever. <laughs> but, but, but here's the thing for the people to hear: uh, my mom prayed for it. Uh, this thing happened, but it took a long time, and I had a path that was very convoluted. And mother's prayer, mother's, my mom stayed with me. And she was supportive, even though I, it looked like I was lost several different times. She stayed with me, and she was there on the front row when I was ordained, a priest in Atlanta. That is, that is such a beautiful story. And just to know that uh, um, we may not always see these things as they, as they unfold before us. So true. And sometimes, uh, you know, our uh, hindsight is twenty twenty, right? We can see back and see. So we should spend time reviewing Mm-hmm. What what has that's, happened in our that's lives? That's called the exa- the examine. Yes, examination of conscience that Ignatius of Loyola asked for us to do twice a day. Mm-hmm. Every and everyone should do it because we're going to see these beautiful moments where where God uh, through his his uh, the people that he utilizes through his own presence in our lives, but also angels and all kinds of ways yes. affecting and what you do we that do. In hindsight, by looking back backwards and saying, "Now, Lord, where were you in my life?" Each hour of the day. That's what the examine is. Beautiful. That's a wonderful story, Bishop Talley. I'm so glad that you were able to be here uh, to visit with us. Thank you. Uh, and I, we're going to have you again. You've uh, you've passed the test. Thank uh, you. You're out <laughs> of pro- off probation. <laughs> Tell Pope Francis that I'm, I'm doing okay. <laughs> I will. I'll, next time I talk to him, please do that, Bishop Talley. Would you offer a blessing for our listeners? All right, I, I will. Uh, to all who are listening, uh, the Lord be with you. And with your spirit. May the blessings of Almighty God come upon you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Go in peace. Thanks Thanks be be to God. God. (laughs) Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send him an email at deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. Visit us on the web at thecatholiccafe.com. You can also find us on iTunes or follow us on Facebook and Twitter. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe, serving up salvation one cup of coffee at a time.